This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, September 17th, 2021. I'm Caleb Brown. The Biden administration's vaccine or test mandate means more testing. And yet the Biden administration waited until this announcement to do much of anything to advance the availability of home rapid COVID testing that's widely available in other countries. Cato's Scott Lincecum discusses why U.S. public health institutions are so far behind the rest of the world. Joe Biden recently announced a few things, uh, the most notable of which was a new vaccine uh, mandate that he wants to impose on up to and including 100 million private sector workers. And I don't like that idea, but paired with that idea was a ramping up of rapid tests. And I can remember, maybe about a year ago at this time, crossing my fingers with uh, tickets to see my favorite band <laughs> later uh, in, in, the, in the summer, thinking, this is it. This is going to be the thing that saves us. This is going to be the thing that lets live music happen again. I can go see bands over and over and just, uh, you know, do a quick test and then they let me in and I can go see the band and I can, uh, people can feel safe around me and I won't have to wear a mask. It'll be great. And then nothing, nothing at all. I see people posting photos to Twitter from Europe of here are my rapid tests that I get in the mail every week from uh, the government. Now, it's leaving aside all the other policies of those governments. But uh, why didn't we get the thing that we all wanted to get back to our lives? I was told and I believed that testing, rapid testing, was going to be the thing to save us. Yeah, it's... I mean, there's a practical and a philosophical problem. Uh, the practical problem is that the FDA, which is authorized to approve these uh, rapid tests, um, has until very recently uh, stymied the uh, the dissemination of of these tests, which the technology is really basic. It's essentially, you know, you stick a swab up your nose, you put it in a solution, the strip, it's called a strip test strip, tells you if you have, um, if you have COVID or you don't. Uh, very simple technology. And the technology was available very early on in the pandemic. The problem, according to the FDA, was that it wasn't sufficiently accurate. So, you know, we have two types of tests, antigen tests, which are what these rap most of these rapid tests are, and the PCR test. PCR is the one we all know about. So you have to go to a lab, you wait a few days, right? So PCR tests, to their credit, are extremely accurate and sensitive, 99% or so. I mean, basically, you know, perfect. Antigen tests, uh, especially when they first came out, um, or, or, you know, that's the original technology from last year, were only about 80-something percent accurate. And the FDA um, did not think about how uh, the proper comparison. They, they thought, well, we're just going to compare one rapid test to one PCR test, and 85 is worse than 99, and, and we don't want false negatives. We don't want people going out in public thinking they're COVID-free and then infecting all their friends, and that's it. So, that, so, so no approval, right? Um, but at the time, 
a bunch of economists and several public health experts said this is a foolish comparison because rapid tests are so cheap. I mean, you're talking a couple bucks a test, even without government subsidies, that the proper comparison is is comparing uh, seven rapid tests to one PCR test because rapid tests are so quick. They're rapid. They take 15 minutes. You could take one a day for several days in the time it would take for you to get a PCR test back. And uh, Alex Tabarrok over at George Mason has done this great little chart showing all this. And and in that case, um, rapid tests are a perfect substitute. Well, not, not perfect, but a very good substitute for these PCR tests. And in fact, given how, you know, people don't like going into public during a a pandemic, uh, given how people just don't like doctor's offices and the rest, given that it's hard to schedule appointments, rapid tests are actually far better. Um, I I can say I've taken a rapid test and quite frankly, it was great. I just went to the drugstore. I got one, stuck it up my nose, got thing. I was not going to go to the doctor's office just because I was feeling a little cruddy. Right. Right. So the, the, the comparison then is to the expense, Right. right? Uh, that's an important comparison and also a comparison to your own sense of I'm fine. Yeah. Right. right. So and in that sense, you're comparing an 80 percent accurate test to no test at all. Exactly. That's exactly right. And so the FDA just did not uh, ag- agree with this. And so even though we had these tests out there, um, it only first approved the uh, a test, a rapid at-home test in late December. But really, that was a bit of a joke because it was this Australian company, LMA, and they had like no supply. And so we really didn't even get our first at-home tests that you and I could get uh, easily um, until February or so. So after that big January peak, um, there were a couple other tests approved shortly after that. But um, even then, um, the tests were really expensive. Um, you know, so the test I just mentioned I bought cost me 30 bucks for a two pack. Um, now, I, I, I have the means to, to pay for that. I had, was in a situation where I needed to actually get some rapid tests, one for my daughter's school. So, so you know, it was worth it. But as part of a, again, testing regime, multiple tests, you know, several in a week, doing that a few times, going to concerts and doing it. It's totally unrealistic. And and that is, quite frankly, still where we are today. The FDA has only approved a few more. Uh, I think it's now six total. Um, and three of those, however, they only approved a couple weeks ago. And so uh, those aren't even on the market. And you have three rapid tests. It's very hard to get them. Um, You know, you can find them if you scrounge around, but they are not, like you said, in Europe, you can you can get there are hand baskets of these things on sale in Germany and the Netherlands. In the UK, you can you can just basically email the government. They'll send you a seven pack anytime you want for free. Um, It's just it's just not it's just not. uh, omnipresent here, like it should be and like it needs to be to have a viable testing regime. It, it's strange because, you know, the the parallel uh, or I guess it's not really a parallel because for more than a year, Americans were told you may not have this vaccine. And now 
seven, eight months after the vaccine began to be rolled out, we have the president of the United States saying, if you are employed in the private sector and you have yeah. any tangential connection to government whatsoever, you must take right. this vaccine. And for rapid te- and w- so with with testing production, we it's sort of a weird parallel where yeah. the and FDA says the FDA says, no, these aren't good enough. You can't have them. And now we have Joe Biden announcing I'm going to use the Defense Production Act yeah. to ramp up production of this when uh, at any point in the last year and a half, a president or uh, a regulatory agency could have said simply, well, they're not perfect, but uh, we want to get these out there as soon as possible. Yeah, it's all really mind boggling. Again, this is not new technology. This is not like mRNA vaccines that maybe needed some government support for initial research. I mean, this is really basic tech. There's a massive demand sitting out there. Uh, Americans desperate to get them. You know, I Germany uh, is kind of one of the, the leaders in this. They've approved like 60 different at-home tests. So these things are available um, and Americans are desperate to have them. I'll, you know, and particularly right now, as schools struggle with trying to reopen without, again, without vaccines for kids um, and COVID protocols and just trying to keep things, keep the bus moving, right? We we really, there is still this, this demand. And it's only now that the president is going to inject a bunch of money to get uh, a bunch of rapid tests. And quite frankly, you know, uh, given where we are in the pandemic, there are questions about, you know, whether... And again, given that these there are so many rapid tests already out there that the FDA hasn't approved, it's just really a question about what is this going to accomplish? And then, of course, the other, I think, really important part of this is that here you have this new vaccine or test mandate, and we might not even have any tests available or enough tests to do the or or test part. Right. You know, one of the talking points is this isn't a vaccine mandate. It's a testing mandate. Right. Right. The testing or I should say the production of rapid tests seems only to be in furtherance of a mandate. Yeah. And it all just it's very, very frustrating. But but, you know, and this goes back. I said there's a practical problem. That's what you know, what what we were dealing with on the FDA side. But there's also this this broader philosophical and regulatory problem with our public health regulatory regime right and 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 this i think is just a a risk aversion to a fault right and it goes back to this classic trolley problem situation and so you know if you imagine that there's uh, a trolley on a track and there's a guy standing at a switch and if the guy pulls the switch, the trolley will change tracks and go and end up running over like one person. But if he doesn't touch the switch, the trolley will head straight ahead and run over 10 people, right? So this is a classic kind of ethical dilemma. It's not exactly an easy answer, but for a regulatory agency, considering about how to, you know, uh, maximize uh, public health, uh, and save human lives, 
you would want the agency to be actually biased towards pulling the switch, right? Towards, uh, you know, unfortunately having maybe one death, but saving um, thousands of lives um, by uh, not letting the trolley just continue forward. But unfortunately, it's the exact opposite here, right? The the FDA is really hardwired. And, and, you know, it's not just the FDA. We've seen the CDC doing similar stuff. It's really kind of the whole public health bureaucracy is really hardwired not to pull the switch. Um, that they it really is only approve, whether it's drugs or tests, when uh, they're basically perfect. Um, and until then, you just let the deaths happen. You you let the the casualties of inaction occur, and that's that's you know again what we've seen in the testing regime. Instead of potentially having a couple adverse events, a couple negative uh, reactions, um, they they prefer to just let have no testing regime at all. And when the eyes are on them, yeah, they get worse. Right. Right. And that's exactly, you know, we're seeing that, I think, right now with the whole COVID booster situation. You know, uh, President Biden, I think I think to his credit, quite frankly, uh, got out ahead of the FDA on booster shots. And all of a sudden, um, a couple longstanding FDA bureaucrats just quit. They up and quit. So, you know, here is this agency that that for. 18 plus months has been slow and deliberate and, I mean, really um, kind of gumming up the gears. Uh, the minute you actually try to get out ahead of them, then that's it. They quit um, very quickly. They, the only time they move quickly is when you might actually try to um, uh, speed up the process. And yeah, it's um, it's a very tough situation. Now, I think, you know, almost impartial defense of the of the FDA. Not really. But, you know, this is, I think, a broader problem. You know, Scott Alexander, this guy who used to write the Slate Star Codex blog, he wrote this really great piece on some of the uh, the pervasive problems at the FDA. And and I think he made a really uh, smart point at the end that part of it, part of the blame falls upon, you know, American society writ large, right? We um, we really penalize um, uh, crimes of commission, right? If if an agency, if the FDA were ever to approve a cancer drug that um, maybe you know killed some some people, the societal penalties for doing that are orders of magnitude greater than the penalties for not approving a drug that could save thousands millions of lives, whatever. And the media would, you know, I, I wrote this back when I wrote a piece on the vaccines, you know, the media would just torch the bureaucratic, you know, the bureaucrats, the FDA and the rest, if they were to approve, if they were to approve a vaccine that, um, or, or simply allow the vaccines to be sold at the, you know, the market rate and just let, yeah, you know, human challenge trials go and all this stuff. Um, they'd be just brutalized in the press if there were some adverse uh, actions. And so, you know, while we certainly should should reexamine the FDA's regulatory mandates, while we certainly should uh, loosen things up and let people, um, you know, have bodily autonomy and 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 um, take the risks they want to take, um, some of this also the fault does fall on ourselves, right? For for just how 
uh, risk averse so much of, of society is these days. Scott Lincecum is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast pretty much anywhere and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.